On the block, on demand. Okay, not 10. Two seconds and one. It's 10 wins in a row for the Crunch. It's the biggest upset in the Carrier Dome in more than 30 years as the Orange hold off the defending national champions. They beat Clemson. The Bills make me want to McCoy in the backfield, takes the handoff, runs up the middle, breaks a tackle. He's inside the 10, cuts to the left, into the end zone. Buffalo wins. Back to full. Red Sox fans have longed to hear it. The Boston Red Sox are world champions. Somebody in Vegas told them they were going to win by 20. They look at the positive side of things once in a while instead of the negative all the time. This is On the Block with Brent Axe. We're back, baby. We're on the block, ESPN Radio. Welcome back. Welcome aboard. If you're just hopping along here, if you manage to get to a radio and turn it on, I know it's snowing out there. God forbid everybody just shut it down. Uh, come on, Syracuse. Come on, man. I Look, I, it's, it's, it's snowing and the roads are bad and take it easy. And if you don't have to go anywhere, it's probably not a good idea to do that. And I get why they closed down schools, but it's just... I am the I am such the old man on the porch on this. We get six to eight inches of snow and people just shut it down. Shut the city down. Just reminds me of that scene from Ghostbusters. You shut that thing off. We're not going to be responsible for what happens. Tell them about the Twinkie. Anyway, we've got plenty of Syracuse hoops to discuss. We've got some Syracuse football to get into as it is signing day. Kind of anticlimactic at this point, considering the early signing day, but Syracuse added a few players today. We have a better sense of what the class of 2018 looks like recruiting-wise. We talked to Mike McAllister about that last hour. That's up at ESPNSyracuse.com if you want to check out some Cruton talk. There's some interesting things to get into about how much money SU Athletics makes, how much they spend, the programs they put their money into, and how... We don't get this off. We don't get this insight often because it's a private school, and there's some things that they don't necessarily have to tell us, but does come out via Title IX and tax documents and sorts of things. And Chris Carlson wrote about that today, and, and I think that is is interesting. And if you have not seen where their spending is football wise, I wonder what your reaction to that will be. How many quadrant one wins are left for the Syracuse basketball team? Is that something we've got to deal with now? I just remember the days of top 25, top 50, top 100 wins. Now we got quadrants and all sorts of things. I was never good at math. And now I got to figure out quadrants to where Syracuse is. Just keep winning. Just just keep keep it simple, stupid. Just keep winning games, beat the good teams, and hopefully you'll be in at the end, right? That that's kind of how I'm going to look at it. But, you know, you're going to be hearing a lot about this. Not just bracketology and RPI and all this stuff, quadrants. Quadrant one wins. How many are left for Syracuse? How many do they have? Speaking of Syracuse basketball, let's go out to the phones. 437-7644. Get it going out there with you. Stefan and Utica on the block. Well, hello, Stefan. Well, hello, Brent Axe. Now, I was wondering, do you think the Syracuse basketball team needs to play as a team? And do you think everyone needs to con- contribute with all the injuries they have? No one can have an off night, and that all five starters need to contribute something to the games? Well, you know, I think you're spot on there, because when Barama does not play, 
and he has not played the last two games, you have six players that you can turn to. That leaves as little room for error as you can get because you can only sub in one player. And, and positionally, at guard, there's nobody to come in. I mean, Braden Bayer is available, but, you know, you don't want to go to Braden Bayer, no offense to him, unless it is absolutely necessary, right? What we saw the other night in that win was what Syracuse needs to do. Now, you don't have to have 25 and 22 and the huge numbers that they put up, but you need Tyus Battle to score. You need Tyus Battle to get quality offensive chances and, you know, shoot a decent percentage. A combined 16 of 68 going into that game, not going to get it done from your two primary scorers. So Battle and Frank Howard had great offensive games against Louisville. O'Shea Brissett was the wingman they needed. He hit three, three pointers. He was involved. He was getting quality shots, but it was not a five of 16 scenario. It was four of nine. He was starting to get inside a little bit, starting to be assertive. You had Merrick Dolzhai, eight and six. That's, that's exactly what you need from Merrick Dolzhai. He plays 37 minutes. He gets some Open shots, which he's slowly but surely having more confidence to take from the top of that key. You know he's going to grind and get rebounds and hustle and play defense and just everything that we have learned from him. Monday's game was almost the mold in which you say, this is how you got to beat teams. And remember, they still only won that game by five points. Louisville found Syracuse's weakness late in the game, kept throwing it inside because they had players they could throw it to and Spalding, get your foot off the boat, and Mahmoud, and inexplicably, David Pageant backed off that, or whoever it was, if I'm picking on the coach unfairly, whoever it was, players on the court, strategy, they, they just jacked up a couple of threes in situations where they should have kept attacking the paint. Syracuse shot 47%, Louisville shot 46%. Syracuse out-rebounded Louisville by one. Like, they still got by with the hair on their chinny-chin-chin, and that was pretty much it. But they've done that all year. They're used to that. Syracuse is used to playing in games where it's going to be close, it's going to be a grind, even when you have your best offensive night. So you're not far off there, Stefan. Now, when Barama is available, that's still only seven guys. So this week off is big. The fact that Syracuse had that week off prior has essentially a week off. It's a little less than that this time. But you play Saturday, Monday against a grinding Virginia team on the road at Louisville, not quite the Rick Patino in your face teams of the past, but not an easy win to pick up, although the crowd was quiet and it wasn't the usual environment at the KFC Yum Center. But, you know, all told, not an easy win for Syracuse. So I saw Mike Waters tweet this today that... Buffalo, which by RPI in a lot of measures is one of Syracuse's best wins, now qualifies as a quadrant one win. Now, for those of you that are just kind of getting familiar with this, a little refresher. The NCAA selection committee in the past has divided a team's wins in terms of RPI. Those wins were categorized into top 50, top 100, top 200. Okay. Now the selection committee is going to group a team's wins and losses into four quadrants with each quadrant ranking based on whether they were played at home, on a neutral court, or in a true road environment. 
Okay, so pay attention. There's going to be a quiz later. These are quadrant one wins. This is what qualifies as a quadrant one. Home one to 30, neutral one to 50, away one through 75 using rankings. You get a win that falls in that category. That's a quadrant one win. Syracuse has a quadrant one win over Buffalo and Louisville. They have potential quadrant one wins down the road here against Duke in no particular order, North Carolina, Miami, and Clemson. Clemson is four in the RPI right now. That game's not till a month from now in March, but, you know, something to keep in mind. That could be a big game that Syracuse might have to win at the end if they can't do more damage beforehand. Duke is seventh in the RPI. UNC is 12th in the RPI. Miami and Clemson are right there at like 14 and 16. Even Boston College upcoming has an RPI of 82 and could qualify as a quadrant one win. Wake Forest, who, boy, they have a losing record and they're 2-9 and nine in the ACC. That's not going to help you, right, on Sunday? Well, their RPI is 112. It's not a game you want to lose in that sense. Okay, that's quadrant one. What's quadrant two? I'm not going to go over all the quadrants because Syracuse, you know, certainly isn't going to get down into the quadrant four level often. Quadrant two is home win in the 31 to 75 range. Neutral fifty one to one hundred, away seventy six to one thirty five. Quadrant three is a home win seventy six to one sixty, neutral one hundred one to two hundred, away one thirty six to two forty. So there you go, there you go. That's what quadrants are. I'm still going to pay attention to bracketology. I'm going to read Joe Lenardi and Patrick Stevens and. You know, the bracketologists that will start, you know, you'll hear those voices more and more on this show going forward here. I'm still going to kind of lean on that more, but get to know quadrants. And I've said that word more than I ever have in my life in the last five minutes and will over the next month. But it is a credit to the selection committee. Now, we'll see how this pans out and how it hurts or helps Syracuse, but the process has always evolved, and Syracuse has learned the hard way how the process has evolved for the tournament, right? Think back to about 10 years ago. They've got 10 wins in the Big East. They think they're sitting pretty, and the committee says, nah, we're going to leave you out. I still got that T-shirt in my drawer. I'm sure you do, too. Our friends at TK99 gave it out. So then Syracuse started kind of realizing, all right, we've got a schedule tougher, we've got to Pander to the RPI here. Strength of schedule's got to be better. We've got to go on the road a little bit more. And they have been in situations where they've missed the tournament by their own hand by saying, we're going to sit this one out because of NCAA situations. Last year, we thought it was good enough with the Duke win and a couple other wins they picked up, but we found out didn't win enough on the road. Okay. So you got to go on the road and or neutral sites a little bit more and, you know, when you're scheduling people, and there's exceptions to all rules here, of course, because you still want to maintain some rivalries, even if there are RPIs in the 200, like the Cornells and, and the teams of that nature, right? But we are more cognizant, and coaches are certainly more cognizant of RPI, Ken Palm ratings, quadrant, what will this do for our strength of schedule? How will this, you know, you never thought about the committee until now. Now you're thinking about the committee when you're making the schedule. And somebody calls you from XYZ school. Hey, you want a schedule? Yeah, please hold. And you look up their RPI. Nope, sorry, you don't qualify. <laughs> I don't want you holding us back on the committee, right? 
It's fascinating where we're at. Bottom line is, if you just win enough games, you don't have to worry about this conversation. But Syracuse is the consummate bubble team right now and will bounce in and out of these rankings and these bracketologies and everything based on who they win and who they lose to going forward because they're sitting squarely on the bubble as we speak. Can they take care of that? There's plenty of opportunity ahead. That was the thing. If that offense, I don't think you can expect it to go at a 48% clip and what the production was against Louisville on Monday, but if the offense can certainly do somewhere in the middle ground between the extreme bad against Georgia Tech and Virginia and what I think is pretty much the ceiling for this team offensively that we saw at Boston College was way off the scale, but Louisville was, okay, when they're at their best, that's what they're capable of. Even the middle ground there with the way they play defense and grind out games, they could have something here. Quadrant one wins. Keep track of them, kids. Now, we'll break on that. Now, we've got a few other things to discuss. It is signing day, as mentioned. We talked to Mike McAllister about that last hour, but we'll circle back on that a little bit. Chris Carlson had a very interesting piece today on Syracuse.com about Okay, spending and profit and how much profit SU Athletics made, but they're kind of saying, no, we didn't make that much and where it all goes. Well, I think that conversation always filters down to is how much you're spending on football. So let's figure that out, and we will discuss next. Stay right there. You're on the block, ESPN Radio. This is On the Block with Brent Axe. Welcome back. Glad to have you here. You're going to warm up uh, this joint with some hot takes coming up. You know, look, I, I've just, I've got to say it again. I say it every time it snows, every time there's like over six inches of snow, okay? We get it. There's snow on your back porch. You're eating French toast because you went and bought all that bread and milk for no reason, okay? Yes, your drive home was treacherous. We understand that. The snow plow hasn't been to your neighborhood yet. Wah, right? But what has happened here? I mean, this is quite literally... We are snowflakes. Like, Seth and I and, like, two other people are the only ones left in the office today. Everybody went home because it snowed. Okay? It's not like a blizzard and you can't see two feet in front of you. And, by the way, take it easy out there. It's not like the roads are good, but we live here. We know this. Is this, like, a shocking thing to people that it snows here once in a while? Shut it down! Now, I understand why they close schools, okay? Because... The, the commute would be messy and, you know, you know, safety issues. I understand that in a way. I do. You got snow days. You might as well use them. But, man, the whole city shuts down now. What has happened to us? We are snowflakes in this case. Literally. Okay? Short of, like, blizzard, you know, the county executive saying, don't go on the road or you will get arrested. I'm going to be here and you should be where you need to be. Just take it easy, right? All right? There's my old man ran to the day. It's just, it's amazing to me. If it's over six inches of snow. Oh my God! We don't live in Atlanta. Come on, man. Come on. I thought it used to be like a foot of snow. And that's like, we'll think about it. Like maybe we'll leave early. Five inches and everybody shuts down. What's wrong with us? What has happened to us? We need to make winter great again. Maybe with that fancy open. We've got a hot one for you. Oh, you're hot. Why, thank you. So are you. And I'm not afraid to cry. So hot. So hot and hot. Yes, sir! 
Man, it's hot. How hot is it? It's so hot, I poured McDonald's coffee in my lap to cool off. <laughs> it's time for hot takes on the block. But all your back porches look lovely. Thank you for sharing what your back porch looks like, because it's different than the 10 other people on my Facebook page. Look, my back porch, there's snow on it. Oh, you don't say. <laughs> oh, it snows where you are, too. That's It's, it's funny how that works. Anyway... I promised you Gronk 911 call, and we deliver Gronk 911 call. Now, maybe you heard that Rob Gronkowski, while at the Super Bowl, unfortunately had his house burglarized. And, well, when that happens, you call 911, and 911 records are often public. And, well, take a listen. 911, line recorded. Where is your emergency? Hello. This this isn't an emergency. This is just uh, this is Rob Gronkowski calling, and uh, while I was gone, my whole house got robbed. Uh while on the Super Bowl trip, and I just got back. I just love the details and that. I don't love the fact he got burglarized, of course. Nobody uh, enjoys that, and, you know, we wish him all the best, and thankfully nobody was hurt, right? But I just love how Gronk's like, yeah, I'm Gronk, and, you know, I was just at the Super Bowl. You know me, right? Like, everybody knows Gronk. Like, most of us would have to be, what's your name, sir? What's your address? You know, to establish, it takes like 45 seconds just to establish who you are, where you are, and what has happened to you. Gronk's like, Gronk, back Super Bowl, got robbed. And I'm sure there was like a SWAT team there in a minute and a half. Poor Rob Gronkowski. He's not having a good week. Lost the Super Bowl. There are uh, strong rumors he may retire when he was asked about it. We played this out earlier this week. He didn't brush it off. He didn't dispute it. He said, where'd you hear that? which means there's you know some smoke where that fire's come from. Then the dude gets back from the Super Bowl. As he told our friendly 911 operator, Gronk got robbed. Not a good week. That's hot. To be Rob Gronkowski. And that, folks, is why I brought that up, because how often is it not a good week to be Rob Gronkowski? Usually being Gronk's pretty good. And it's still good to be Gronk, don't get me wrong. But rest assured, my friends, even bad things happen to Gronk. I was a little disappointed when I heard the audio of that, by the way. I thought it'd be Gronk back, Super Bowl robbed, and boom. SWAT team's there momentarily. Bad boys, what you want, what you want to do? So I saw this today. Every NBA basketball team. And I'm going to have to turn this down for a minute because uh, uh, here to tell us the value of now every NBA team is the head coach of a college program that sends a lot of players to the NBA. Uh, that'd be Kentucky head coach John Calipari. John, uh, can you please tell us how much every NBA franchise is now worth? Billion dollars. Thank you, John. That is John Calipari. Every NBA team, according to Forbes, for the first time in NBA history, is worth more than $1 billion with a B. There are NFL teams that are not worth this much. Now, if you tried to sell an NFL team these days... You're going over a bill. I think we know that. The Knicks, for the third straight year, topped the list at $3.6 billion, followed by the Lakers at $3.3 billion, Golden State at $3.1, Chicago, the Bulls, $2.6 billion, and Boston at $2.5 billion. Now, that list is interesting to me for a couple of reasons. First of all, the Knicks are number one. And you wonder why James Dolan does James Dolan things. Well, when your team's worth that much money... And you have all that cable vision money, and you're James Dolan, and you play in a really bad blues band, then you do James Dolan things. 
But what really stood out to me there, even in a world that is connected as much as we ever have been, and where you hear things like market size doesn't matter, because LeBron James can play in Cleveland and, you know, Giannis can play in Milwaukee and Stars can play anywhere. Well, market size still matters. Listen to the cities that I just read off there. New York, Los Angeles, Chicago, Golden State is Oakland, San Francisco. These are all top five, six cities in this country. Market size values and matters when it comes to how much your professional sports team is worth. The team with the highest year-over-year bump, by the way, was the Houston Rockets. They were up 33% and are worth $2.2 billion. They were bought out by Tillman for Tita, I believe is how you say this gentleman's name, in October. Uh, since Adam Silver took over as commissioner, by the way, in February of 2014, that's now four years ago, the league's teams went from being worth $19 billion collectively to $50 billion. That's four years from 19 to 50 billion. And the big television deal they got from ESPN and Turner valued at about 24 billion certainly helped that. But at the end of the day, market size matters. That's what commissioners do. Commissioners make TV deals and hopefully make good labor deals. And that's where the money comes from. If you want to know about buying professional sports teams, oh, and I wanted to mention Houston. I mean, Houston is a top five city in this country. And look at the value that they jumped. Billion. Like, if you own an NBA team right now, and you can find somebody. That's hot. Who's that dude that just sent the rocket ship up? He's got a few billion to spare. Get Jeff Bezos on the phone. There's not a long list of billionaires, but if you want to sell your NBA team and you got a billionaire on line one, Now's the time to sell because the bidding probably starts at $3 billion or maybe you can get a bargain basement price with John Calipari. Billion dollars. Why not? What else we got on hot takes today? LeBron James is saying that he will not, he will not waive his no trade clause. What does that mean? It's just a combination of our season. Pretty much, you know, we've had big leads this year and we've lost them. You know, just couldn't stop it once it, uh, you know, snowball kind of turned into an avalanche in the third and 41-point quarter. It's hard to come back from it. All right, so that audio is kind of quiet. I'm going to cut that off. But LeBron said that he's going to ride this out. And we were just talking about this during the break. There was a great segment on the Dan Lebitard Show, which you hear right here on ESPN Radio Syracuse, early this morning. They do a, a bit. It's called Reckless Speculation, where they just kind of throw stuff against the wall, and once in a while it sticks. And they had Brian Windhorst on, who's an NBA insider, who – really teased us by saying, oh, yeah, there's stuff happening there and there's stuff that's happened that I've heard that I can't report. And our buddy Dave McMenamin from ESPN is kind of towing that line. And, you know, there's some really good people that cover this team. They're a mess. The Cavs blew a 21-point lead last night. Oh, well, who was that to? Golden State? No. Houston? No. Boston? No. Orlando. You blew a 21-point lead to Orlando. And I understand during the course of an NBA season, sometimes you just don't have it. Sometimes the energy's not there. Steve Kerr admitted the other day, different team, but kind of same scenario. Teams just want to get to the All-Star break at this point. But, you know, it's getting late early for Cleveland. The NBA trade deadline is tomorrow. And it is at the point, LeBron is not going to waive his no-trade clause, but guess what? 
Cleveland's got to make a deal or they're not going to win the finals. That's hot. They might not even get there at this point. And I've just been of the assumption they're going to get there. I'm starting to at least worry they might not get there. I'm not even a Cavs fan. Now, we saved this Josh McDaniels thing for last year. I just love that this happened at a press conference today. This is Chris Ballard. He is the general manager of the Indianapolis Colts, who literally said at this press conference today, and he's doing damage control, but I think he did it well, that sometimes your first choice is not your best choice. Just because you're the first choice doesn't make you the right choice. It's about getting the right guy. And I think you can all look it up. Sometimes things work out the way they're supposed to work out. Josh called me, made a decision he's not coming. I don't, I don't deal with New England. I don't, I have no idea what they're thinking. No, people make decisions. People tell people no every day. They tell people no every day. And that's his prerogative and that's his choice. And he, he chose the path. He chose not to be an Indianapolis Colt. That's okay. We'll move forward. Josh reached out to Mr. Ursay directly. I would, I don't have knowledge of that. All right, guys. Thank y'all. Here comes the money quote. The rivalry is back on. That's the general manager. And by the way, everybody laughed in the room. You know who didn't laugh or didn't smile? Chris Ballard. This is the Patriots doing everything they can to screw the Colts. It's that simple because the Colts flipped them in for Deflategate. If Josh McDaniels wanted to coach, oh, I don't know, any other team in the National Football League, then Robert Kraft and Bill Belichick are not at the 11th hour while he's literally cleaning out his desk saying, Hey, can we talk before you go? This is about the Colts. This is about revenge, and revenge is a dish best served cold, right? How does McDaniels have second thoughts at this part? Well, maybe I don't want to move my family or any of this. I understand you had a Super Bowl to prepare for, but these are things you haven't thought about in the last month. And look, it's okay to say no. People get cold feet and have job offers and things that come along, and just about when you're ready to do it, now this isn't right for me. You don't want to get into a marriage and figure out it's the wrong marriage. You want to back out before the wedding day, right? So in that sense, I don't blame Josh McDaniels, but the guy had already committed assistant coaches there. The press release was out. Like, And by the way, you're not Bill Belichick. I watched the two Bills, like a lot of you did, and certainly know this story, that Belichick quit on the Jets after being the coach there for like, you know, 10 minutes. It worked out for him. The lesson here is, and we know this as well as anybody, The coach-in-waiting thing does not work. Josh McDaniels, the supposed guru that at some point when Bill Belichick steps aside, and maybe that timeline has been pushed up a little bit now, is going to take over. If I'm a Patriots fan, I'm like, are we sure about that? I think they like McDaniels and he's a good coach, but you're not going to have Tom Brady forever. And on that note, we shall take a break. Plenty to talk about in the next hour. Syracuse Hoops, Syracuse Football Signing Day. We'll get into some... Revenue spending and revenue and profit and how much Syracuse Athletics is making, or at least what we think they're making, and how that applies to how they're trying to make their programs better. All that coming up. Stay right there. Thank you. Bye-bye.